<laughs> That's the depressive pep talk you have to give yourself to get through the workday. The drama. Okay, whatever. The vibes, the emotion. I love it. <laughs> Cut. It's a wrap. Okay. We don't need to film the rest of this movie. That was perfect acting right there. Too bad it's an audio medium. Yeah. Back to the Shaken Not Scared podcast. Here with you as always, your host Eric and VB. Today we're going to be talking about the 1990 film Jawbreaker, directed by Darren Stain. But before we get into that, how are you, VB? I don't even know. Yeah, for a second you spaced out there. Do you know what we're doing right now? Do you know what day it is? No. Where do you do you know your name is VB? Yes. Oh, okay. So you're good. It doesn't matter what day it is. Oh, they're it all, really they're doesn't. All yeah. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah. Hey, the Discord is getting a lot more active. Not like crazy like some of these other Discords, but we're getting more people on there. Sheree's been in there. We have Anthony, too, who's been pretty active on there. They started battling out who can get levels faster, so that's pretty fun. But yeah, get over there, hang out with us. We're doing a giveaway once we reach 50 people in the Discord. The prize is a copy of the first Halloween movie from 1978, so get on it. Get over there. Hang out. Show us what you're playing, what you're reading, what you're watching. Probably what you're drinking, too. Yeah. There's a non-alcoholic channel in there, and people were like, what? <laughs> Shaking Not Sober. <laughs> That's the show. Mm. Before we get into the drink, though, for today, I just want to give a shout out to Travis for suggesting this film. Thanks again. And as always, for others who are listening here, we love suggestions, so send us more. We're making a list, so get on it. Travis did mention when he suggested it that this film is not technically considered horror, but has horror elements. And I don't know what I would classify this movie honestly when i looked it up it does say it's kind of like a horror i would say thriller yeah i How mean not thriller. thriller from horror psychological yeah mean girls with murder that's pretty horrific yeah in fun facts i saw that darren stain was like but mine's better <laughs> like a true mean girl it's, would it's very different very different yeah so what do you have for us to drink today okay i went with a drink i'm gonna call the teenage dream since you keep saying i killed the teenage dream big deal ah yes 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 for this drink i went more with like a visually jawbreaker theme than an actual taste because i have no idea what a jawbreaker tastes like do you i've also never had one there was a store in this place that i used to go to as a kid some like small town that had giant ones like the ones from ed and eddie in the window mm-hmm. but never bought them also it, just like how do i unhinge my jaw you don't that's how you choke and die do you you're supposed to hold it and lick it wonder how it got the name because they're hard as fuck and you can break your jaw if you oh, try to bite into it i was just picturing that like the first person who tried it broke their jaw and they're it's like possible. you know what that's probably a jawbreaker yeah let's call it that put it in the books and they don't even give a shit about the kid that died and you said they just broke their jaw you didn't say they died you can survive we're talking about jaw. like historically people were oh. dying and just existing you know how old do you think jawbreakers are old yeah. Yeah. America. It's been around for a while. America. That's how I'm going to end every debate <laughs> ever. <laughs> but for this drink, I wanted to create a cotton candy garnish on top that hopefully for the video, it turns out I want to splatter with color the same way they do in the opening scene. The actual drink itself is kind of a rum chata colada. It has three ingredients, so it's pretty simple. You have rum chata, banana liqueur, and coconut rum. Sounds very tropical. Yeah. Do you want to give it a try? Sure. When you said splashing colors at it, I'm picturing like color run. We're just going to like throw paint at it while it goes through the camera. We're going to garnish it and then spray it and hopefully it looks how I want it to look. It is quite desserty, and I don't know that it tastes like a jawbreaker, but it is good. This is definitely like a post-dinner drink. Yes, that's what I was going for. When they come by your table and they're like, do you want anything else after you just stuff your face with the entire bowl of pasta? And you're like, no, this is fine. This dessert drink is fine. Yeah. I was afraid that the banana was going to be like really overpowering, but it's it's the first flavor you get for sure. But once you let it sit, it tastes more like a pina colada. You still get the hint of banana, but it's not horrible because i think that banana liqueur kind of tastes like the laffy taffy banana oh, yeah. flavor right <laughs> it is so it's straight there. up artificial banana and if that's your jam then like this is all great and dandy but it's not overpowering if you don't like that when i was a kid i would like stuff those in my face like nobody's business i like, never liked the banana laffy taffies those are my favorite i hated really? the grape ones yeah well what would you rate this drink then well i said they were my favorite and that's because i got tired of them <laughs> stuffing them in your face <laughs> yeah so no i give this a 3.5 because it does taste good. Like, it is on the sweeter side, but like I said, it's a desserty. So, like, I would definitely get this if I wasn't trying to eat a pie, but I still wanted to get boozy. I agree. I really like this. I'm going to give it a four out of five. 
it's just a good dessert cocktail. Just don't drink more than one of these because, oh my God, your head will hit you in the morning. Oh, is yours already hurting? Mine's is already hurting. I need more. Are you serious? <laughs> the older I've gotten, sweeter stuff, just immediate headache. It doesn't even have to be alcohol sometimes. <laughs> just a soda and I'm like, headache. Water and I'm like, headache. Headache, yeah. Breathing air. Headache. headache. I'm fine. Am I 30 or you? <laughs> I feel like I act way older than you do. <laughs> you do. Well, would you like some fun facts now that you're eating your horchata banana coconut dessert pie? What are we calling this? Teenage dream. Teenage dream. Do you think teenagers dream of this? It's a drink that a teenager would like if they don't know how to drink. It's just very sweet. Mm-hmm. They would like Snapchat themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although that's not what the I kids do now. I don't think teenagers <laughs> use Snapchat. That was us. Yeah. What do teenagers do now? Let us know. Twitter. I don't, I don't know. think anyone under the age of 18 listens to this i don't think anyone under the age of 21 should listen to this <laughs> but are you ready for some fun job breaking facts yeah because you were having a really good time putting these together was that being a mean girl no you were just gasping every like five minutes like <gasps> what oh my god so these better be good what i don't know i didn't keep a lot in here because i didn't want to go forever there was like 30 something when i was looking from to start off there are so many iconic actors in this including pj souls famous for carrie and halloween judy greer famous for the carrie remake and the latest halloween franchise obviously and carol kane famous for the mafu cage and when a stranger calls have you ever seen any of those movies when a stranger calls sounds familiar there was a remake for that too wasn't there we're horror podcasters and we don't know i mean carol kane's the main actress okay. in that and she's the one who's a principal in this and she's in Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, she is. I love her so much. She's so great. But Rebecca Gayhart and Rose McGowan were also in horror movies, including Scream. They weren't in the same ones, though. Yeah, when I was watching this, I recognized so many faces. And I will talk about this a lot, but I am so surprised that this movie doesn't have a crazy following or recognition. It's probably a cult classic now, but I'm surprised that at its time it wasn't the success that you would think it would be because I didn't discover it till recently. I like it. I do see why maybe people wouldn't really take it seriously because it has like a made for TV feeling, especially with all like I the don't. crazy transitions. I felt like it. I felt like I was watching Lizzie McGuire. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I disagree. I really thought the transitions were funny and weird. That's what makes them TV, not movie. Do you know what I mean? Like the weirdness of it is what's like, oh, this is kind of just quirky and fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't agree. Okay. This next one I didn't really give a shit to include because who gives a fuck? But Marilyn Manson was in this and Vivi thought it was important to say that. But at the time he was dating Rose McGowan, who plays Courtney. And I felt it was important to say this because one, to acknowledge that he's even in this movie, but two, to say that we do not support Marilyn Manson. And obviously the allegations against him are pretty horrific. And I think ongoing investigations. So- there yeah. is that. Yeah. Darren Stane was obviously inspired by well-known horror films at the time, including writing Fern Mayo to be like Carrie, Sissy Spacek's Carrie specifically. But apparently Daniel Waters, the screenwriter for Heathers, thought he was ripping his film off. Yes, I absolutely read the description for this movie and thought Heathers. But it's totally not Heathers. It is a different vibe completely. Maybe a similar premise in that it's just mean girls driven to murder. But not really, because Heathers is about Winona Ryder and that kid's like love story basically i mean the, there's like mean girls in it who are kind of there but the focus of the film is not really them it's more this relationship this is just these girls who are mean girls murder one of them and one of them's like the evil leader and finally the scene where they have to carry liz's dead body was apparently so horrible it was nearly 100 degrees and they had to carry her a long way she was dropped at least once and in this scene rose is supposed to pretend to help so it's really just rebecca gayhart and julie benz doing all the carrying that sucks then they have like that snide comment where they're like this doesn't feel like 105 pounds i wonder <laughs> if they really felt that like carrying it all. <laughs> It makes me think about how these types of scenes are done now because I always thought these weren't always like the actual actor and like maybe like a dummy. Doubles. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You want to get the shot of them being the ones that carry her. I think I read somewhere that Rebecca Gayhart was like, my knees have never been the same ever since. Dang. And she wasn't even that old yet. Also, she couldn't have been that heavy. I don't know. Are they trying to talk shit to Rose? Or are they like actually mean girls in real life? I don't know. I saw that Natalie Portman was supposed to be Rose's character. That's hard to imagine just because I feel like Rose McGowan just is perfect in this role. She was in everything at the time too. Yeah. She was really prominent. Yeah. I think, I like I said, I saw like 30 fun facts. I didn't include all of them. But I think I saw that in a music video. Someone included her to offer Jawbreakers to the band. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what music video. Yeah, but she was like in everything. Everybody 
everybody loves her. I guess it's my turn to do a speed run. Yeah, you try to trick me and say it was my turn. I can't even read my own fun facts. You want me to tell this movie in one minute? You had a hard time, but that's okay because I'm probably going to have a hard time reading my notes. <laughs> my eyes hurt. All right, ready, sec. <laughs> Give me what? My phone's charging. Oh, it's not unlocking. Oh, can't do the speed room. Oh, sorry. What does the internet say about this movie? Okay, fine. I want to give a disclaimer at the beginning that I was watching this while working today. So mm. if I don't remember specific details, like that Marilyn Manson was in it, because I, I didn't even catch that. I was in a coffee shop, and they're literally fucking... And it's not graphic, but it was like weird to, <laughs> to have that on the screen while With you're working. With my back to people. <laughs> so Clearly I was like, a movie. Gotta show my notifications real quick. Oh, someone texted me for 10 minutes. That scene is so long it really isn't you just felt like it was because you were in a coffee shop ready set go okay we get a how you make jawbreakers it's the kind that you watch on channel 11 and it's like how things were made and we see jawbreaker these friends are like it's your birthday and then they like shove a jawbreaker in their mouth but they're completely covered they have like masks like that one horror movie and they put her in the back of their car they're like it's gonna be great and they just like repeatedly say that someone's gonna die and then they go to the back and they're like, let's take a picture. And they open the trunk and she's dead. And then the whole movie, they're like, no, we can't tell anybody. You tell anybody you're, you're dead. And then one of them's like, I have a moral thing and I can't lie, but I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. And then long story short, they get like this very timid girl to join them. And she becomes like a monster because she's way better than them. So they try to like sabotage her. Turns out that they like work together at the end with the other girl who's got a moral dilemma. And they're like, we got to expose them. They do. We have a carry moment at the end where the girl's named prom queen. And then they're like, you killed her. And they play her audio on the phone because they had like a birthday card. They recorded it. The end. Well, you made it. Yes. Did I miss stuff? I mean, they definitely didn't record it on a phone because I don't think phones... I said card. I think you said phone. I said birthday card, didn't I? I we'll have to listen back. Play yeah. it back. Play it back. Play the recap. Play the recap. I, I don't know. I don't want to say anything <laughs> in case I was wrong now. I was pretty sure that I said birthday card because I was trying to like be careful on how I said it. I was like, I went like this too. Did I say birthday phone? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. But I beat it. You had like three seconds left. Oh, okay, cool. I felt like I was right there because you kept looking up and down and nervously smiling. And I was like, I don't know what this means, but I'm going to finish it now. I did okay. There's not too much in terms of like plot. It's just mean girls are mean girls. Yeah. There's like so much more getting to know these characters instead of plot, which is an interesting way to do this movie. I don't think I've seen a movie like this ever. There's like several different plots happening at the same time. But it's cool. It it works. I'm going to end this saying like I liked it. I really loved it. And it was short, too. It was like an hour and 25 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. What does the internet say about it? It's your turn. I don't have a phone. I don't have a birthday card. Birthday phone. A birthday phone. Three of the most popular girls at Reagan High School accidentally kill the prom queen with a jawbreaker when a kidnapping goes horribly wrong. Prom queen. She wasn't even prom queen yet. She was 2B, right? Yeah. This is misleading IMDb. I don't like you. What is it rated? It is rated a hot and heavy 5.6. Boo. I have a theory why this movie is rated very low. Because there's heavy women actors and... And little to no men. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I think is not on purpose. I saw that Darian was like, no, the men don't really take this spotlight in any kind of way. They're seen as like arm candy. They are. I actually wrote that in my notes that anytime men are featured, they are pawns or boyfriends. The same way that women are usually featured in other films. Which is cool. Yeah. It's one of the things I like about it. But, you know, people on the internet fucking, ruins the party once again. Fucking grow up. Honestly. For some reason, I don't know where this started, but me and Eric say grow up and suck a dick like the rest of us. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Remember? I don't know. It was like maybe on oh, one of the episodes and we like, deleted it. This is like two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was your birthday. And I told one of your friends, grow up and take it up the ass like the rest of us. Because <laughs> I am just inappropriate. But Well, I think it was because we were talking about this, like the misogyny thing. And guys just being so fucking butthurt about it's like they're worse than what they're making fun of. Yeah. Like we can we can debate it all day, but it's like dudes will be like, oh, fucking women will do this. And it's like, bro, you're equally as butthurt as what you're just describing yeah 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 so it was like shut the fuck up and suck a dick like the rest of us <laughs> yes just saying just saying well are you ready i am let's do this i'm excited maybe you're gonna give me some details that i didn't notice like i said i was working that's my fault i apologize listeners if i'm not you're the supposed best. to be giving grade a content oh i can i can give you grade a content without nutting without nutting <laughs> without nutting this can, isn't only fan sir <laughs> i can give you grade a content without knowing what happened but no i i watched most of it i was just like doing a spreadsheet it was kind of like brainless work so okay no worries i'm just saying like tiny details you catch tiny details regardless of whether i'm watching the movie or not well then let's get into these tiny details i'll be like look they shot a rabbit and you're like that rabbit represents the trauma and yeah the discrimination and trauma instilled upon the mexican people and i'm like this is a rabbit <laughs> this is a movie with all white people what are we talking about <laughs> But yes, I agree with you. <laughs> I was a liberal arts major, leave me alone. <laughs>
We open on a narration by Judy Greer's character about the flawless four. As four girls walk down a high school hallway, we get introduced to Courtney, who is described as Satan in heels. Marcy Fox, who is described as a legend in her own mind and who refers to herself as Foxy. We have Julie, who was doomed to be popular because of her pretty face. And finally, Liz Purr, who is described as special. As they walk down the hall, they ignore a brown-haired girl who has dropped her things, except for Liz, who stops to help. The narrator says that everyone loved Liz because she was actually sweet. She explains that Courtney ruled with fear, but everyone saw Julie as the Princess Di of the high school, which really pissed off Courtney. Just like this Princess Diana reference. Is it implied then that maybe she did on purpose? That is a question I had throughout this because she really is lacking in any type of remorse. Yeah, like she was the competition and she got her killed. And as much as she's like, oh my God. And she looks like she's sad in that moment where they realize she's dead. But she's probably more sad for herself having to figure out what to do. Not that she's gone. Right. Interesting. So the true villain, which was the main villain. It's it's spot on this time. (laughs) The narrator admits that she used to dream about what it would be like to be her. As we pan over to Liz's bedroom where she is asleep. Suddenly, she is being kidnapped and a jawbreaker is stuffed in her mouth as three masked figures tie her up and stuff her in the trunk of a car they have the masks like the strangers no these masks are used in like so many things like the purge maybe yeah maybe that's one thing because it's used so much i can never like pinpoint what it's from it was also used in vhs yep in that one short it's a creepy mask oh yeah i understand why people use it all the time we need to get one of these because i feel like it's just in so many horror movies when spirit halloween pops back up nearby we'll be there to get one can't wait we realize that it's her friends who are talking about how great the prank is it's so fucking funny because they just use endless amounts of like murder death and die and she's gonna die when she sees this oh my god i'm surprised she's not dead already but they're talking it's about not like subtle <laughs> i love how aware it is i would also like to point out why do teens always drive convertibles in movies it was to the point where i was growing up i was like yeah you just drive around in a convertible with your friends when you're a teenager that's just what you do and when you're the cool kid you drive a car that's falling apart obviously who's the cool kid that has the car that's falling apart i don't know i'm just thinking about every high school movie it's like the grunge kid in the background who's like the hot kid that drives like a muscle car but it's like all beat up if you had a car in high school even if it was a hunk of junk you were rich (laughs) you were hot shit yeah because nobody drove i know and you were the person who people would go to to ditch school (laughs) oh yeah all the time just kidding i never ditched school oh i did Mm. many a time and look i'm still here in school they discuss the birthday plans they have for liz which include feeding her pancakes and tying her to a flagpole in nothing but her bra and underwear. They park and go to release their friend from the trunk, having a Polaroid camera ready to take a picture of her reaction. Courtney, this entire time, is like saying what the plan is. Is this normal? When they're like, we're going to tie her to a flagpole and put her up there naked. I'm like, why is this the way that you're going to celebrate your birthday? So I think it's implied that this group of friends does this, even with the birthday card that comes into play later. It's just their tradition. And I think it also is just a commentary on female relationships and how at times they can seem two-faced, especially in high school gotcha i definitely did not do this with my friends in high school <laughs> well, that's, what I was that's asking. all like, i'm did gonna you say tie each other to the poles naked no they yell surprise as they throw up the trunk but there is something obviously wrong liz's eyes are wide open as they pull the duct tape off her mouth this is something i found interesting in the style of filming they exaggerate all the like bodily movement so even when they shove the jawbreaker in her mouth and pulling this tape off it's all like blah, blah. yeah i do like that they later show her body decayed like because actually they, yeah because they still go to school and they're like oh my god with the body in the car i was like they better not pull her out hours later and she's just like fine so that was my question for when later on courtney stages the crime scene with marilyn manson's character wouldn't it smell terrible yeah and don't police have a way to tell like how old the body is from time of death i don't know how accurate it was level in the 90s it looks like her body's already rotting my thought wouldn't be like oh we showed up at 8 p.m when her body was found and she died at 3 p.m i think timeline wise she is found a couple days later because her parents are on a trip oh gotcha gotcha yeah okay so it still shows that she died that day because i thought that too i was like no way that the cops would fall for this but you know i don't know if this is correct but dna evidence has not been around as long as we think I think even as like the OJ case, they didn't want to use DNA evidence because they didn't consider it reliable, which was not true. It's just that people did not trust it because it was the new technology of the time. Yeah. Can we stop that? Because there's like technology that's badass and then people are like, no, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 
Let's go back to rock cars, like the Flintstones. Someone at work made that joke today, too. Rock cars? Yeah. Oh, cars made of Dwayne Johnson? Cars that you pedal with your foot. Oh. They start to freak out as Courtney explains that she just didn't want her to scream, that she thought gagging her with a jawbreaker would be funny. Yeah, because the other girls are like, what? Why did you do that? (laughs) Yeah, Julie looks pissed as she yells, you gagged her with a jawbreaker? And we get a title card. This title card is literally the whole process of making a jawbreaker. It's like Channel 11. Do you ever watch that show? Like, how does this get mean yeah i think they're on youtube it was it the same thing i don't know it was it was kind of like that though and it shows you like the crayons are made from this point on and there's a giant vat and then it shows you like the conveyor belts and it's really boring but it's cool when you're a kid i think i'd still watch those i'd watch that to go to sleep or something so would i your dad makes cups and sometimes i would sit down and just think about that I'm like, how does he make cups <laughs> oh he'll show you he has videos of him making cups oh man we're about to live with him too i'm about to oh sit upstairs gosh. and just watch cup videos they drive away as they say they need to call someone Courtney refuses, saying that she isn't getting fucked over a prank that went wrong. This is kind of a big went wrong situation. A prank that she made go wrong. Everybody else didn't even know this was happening. She's like, it's not my fault. Don't worry about it. Let's just forget it. Julie and Marcy are freaking out, but Courtney is composed enough to call the school, pretending to be Liz's mother, informing them that she is sick and won't be in today. They pull up to the school where they have VIP parking, apparently, and Courtney instructs them to act cool, walk down the halls like nothing is happening. We get another shot of them strutting their stuff in the hallway. How many scenes of this do we need in this movie? It happens so often, right? It's like every other scene. I saw that Rose McGowan was like, I'd fucking do that scene again. We own that shit. It's just so funny to treat high school like a runway. (laughs) The problem I always have with movies like this is that we don't exist in like California where rich kids go to school. Yeah, we didn't go to like a suburban high school. There's a lot of other things happening, but not this. Well, we get another scene of them strutting their stuff in the hallway. High schoolers love to wear heels in movies don't they yeah i did wear high heels in high school occasionally but it was for events because we also went to a school that had uniforms that's never in high school movies true true yeah it's just funny because i would rather fucking die than wear heels right now and i used to do that in high school i roll my ankle just wearing crocs like (laughs) what the fuck i'm surprised you're not rolling your ankle right now (laughs) and you're sitting That might happen to me one day. They enter the girls' bathroom and kick everyone out, including Fern, the brunette from earlier. She says hi to Julie, but gets hurried out like the rest of the girls. The flawless four fix their makeup in the mirror when a teacher comes in to kick them out. I had put down teacher. This is actually the principal, Miss Sherwood. She informs them that someone must pick up Liz's assignments as she is out sick. As they walk out, Courtney reminds them again to act as though everything is peachy fucking king. She likes repeating that a lot. It's peachy keen. It's peachy fucking king. Yeah, you gotta keep composure. How else will everyone think you're badass if you're not keeping it together? Which I think is like a big theme in this movie of just like composure and your image. We'll get to it in a later scene. You mentioned in your fun facts about how a lot of these actresses were horror icons while the actress who plays marcy also plays darla in buffy who i would say buffy's definitely a horror tv show i'll do you one another to add on to that fun fact all right where the prom happens was also where the prom happened in buffy oh that's fun love that love that fact yeah apparently this high school was also where lizzie mcguire was filmed is that why you remembered lizzie mcguire no i'm telling you this gives me like so many vibes of just like television movie there's a very specific aesthetic here and i like it we got to julie in class as the teacher lectures about disillusion derangement and descent into madness and i feel like this is where you could argue it has horror movie elements because that is a classic trope in horror movies where what's going on in the classroom foreshadows everything in the main character's life we can't have a horror movie without it courtney is in biology as the teacher lectures about how study of the female anatomy was done through studying corpses. Marcy is in home ec, being taught how to crack an egg. As she cracks hers, it's filled with blood. Even one of the goth girls goes in to play with the yolk. Doesn't one of them yell, that's a bad omen. It's stillborn or something like that. Yeah. After class, the three girls discuss what they should do about Liz. One suggests they just put her back in bed. But Julie shuts this down, saying they'll find the jawbreaker in her throat. When Marcy makes a joke saying, so what? We'll say she was practicing giving blowjobs and accidentally swallowed. They really are like not as upset as they should be. No, and also I don't think that blowing practice would be like, I accidentally just inhaled this two inch ball. Yeah, it's fucking massive. I'm not going to accidentally swallow that. This, however, gives Courtney an idea and just quick trigger warning. 
here. She says that they will check the corpse to see if it was raped. They can blame the whole incident on a sex game gone wrong. When Julie says no one will believe this, Courtney says they will because it confirms their worst fears. The high school sweetheart murdered by perversion. And I completely agree. People love this in their like true crime stories as messed up as it is. I feel like this is a commentary on that. She's not wrong. Society's obsessed with the like perfect white woman in suburban setting murdered stories. The story that she keeps coming up with too seems too well thought out. And obviously it comes into play later when they reveal that she's kind of like putting her story on top of Liz's death because she's doing what she's saying she did. It's so fucked up. Do you think she's doing what she's saying Liz did or she did it to cover up the crime? Because she's messing with a high schooler. I don't know. I think the willingness to be like, I'm going to make up this fake story and then I'm going to do it. Oh, I think it's just to show how far she'll go to cover her own skin. Julie says that Courtney is sick as the bell rings, which reminds her that she was supposed to pick up Liz's homework from Miss Sherwood. In Miss Sherwood's office, Fern enters to ask her a question. She is very awkward and just looks down when she talks all the time. Miss Sherwood asks her if she knows Liz, to which she responds the weirdest thing I've ever heard, where she's like, you mean the meow? I was like, what? Her little kitty? She's the cat's meow, is her explanation. I was like, what? The cat's pajamas, the bee's knees. It was just the weirdest way to phrase that. Fern's character is very odd in the way she chooses to express herself. It's an exaggerated version of clearly Sissy Spacek's Carrie, but in a different way, right? It's almost like she loves Liz. Yes. And we could talk about that later where she's getting investigated. That's what I'm referring to. Like she has a very odd way of speaking. Maybe Liz and her had a like secret relationship. And in a world where she's got bitches like Courtney judging her, she couldn't come out and say it. I don't know if so much they had a secret relationship as Fern was obsessed with her. It seems like she had a crush on her and Liz just didn't know. But it's possible. We don't know anything about Liz. Liz is literally just the corpse in the room. Other than, you know, her being Julie's best friend. Right. Miss Sherwood asks her to deliver Liz's homework as Courtney is late. Fern leaves to go do this excitedly and Miss Sherwood realizes she never gave her Liz's address. <laughs> Creepy. Out in the parking lot, the now flawless three ask Miss Sherwood for Liz's homework, but she informs them that she gave it to Fern Mayo because Courtney was late and unreliable. And this is where we get the whole, the world could do with more Fern Mayo's comment. Yeah, but Courtney doesn't really give a fuck. No. She's like, what the fuck does that even mean? She's more worried about racing back to Liz's house. The three race to beat Fern to Liz's home to stage the body. The three are carrying her across the backyard and really struggling as Fern is kind of taking her time, literally smelling the roses when a centipede just crawls out of one and freaks her out. I felt like this was just like one of those obvious metaphors of in beauty, there is something ugly. They finally get Liz to her bedroom and make comments about how she definitely doesn't feel like she was 105 pounds. Doesn't dead weight always feel like much heavier? Yeah, it's supposed to be that the center of gravity like distributes or something like that i don't know there's ways to do this when you're alive too right i don't know how gravity that works gravity works yeah because why the fuck does this happen i don't know i know that there's science and science. things that happen yeah but i don't get it and that is the engineer of the podcast ladies and gentlemen <laughs> i didn't engineer dead bodies that's good that's actually really good <laughs> courtney and marcy begin staging liz's body by ripping up her panties and deciding whether or not they should rip off her sheets while they're doing this julie is looking around the room she is obviously the most upset about what's going on she notices a ton of pictures of the four of them she picks up a birthday card that says why are you doing this to me and they freak out immediately dropping Liz's body the girls freak out and julie apologizes for opening it downstairs fern is practicing what she's gonna say to liz when she sees her and this is one of those moments where i was like oh she has a crush on her because that's something you do when you have a crush you're like okay what am i gonna say and it's weird to think about crushes because then i was like was i like that it's hard to think that there was ever a time where i was gonna practice what i was gonna say to you and did now we just like fart in the same room all day did you when i met you yeah yeah did you like <laughs> stand there and you're like i wonder how long i need to talk to him before i could just naturally fart in front of him married yeah. in a house <laughs> i just landed on top of you on a bus and now we're married as the law goes <laughs> fern has made her way into the house and here's the three girls arguing upstairs courtney wants julie to approve the staging of the crime scene and julie wants none of this she says they won't believe the crime scene and they need to go to the police and say it was an accident as they argue this fern hears everything from outside the door there's a point where courtney even grabs the birthday card frustrated with julie saying she killed the teenage dream get over it 
Do we know why Courtney is so adamant about not going to the cops? It's, well, she seems to be the one mainly responsible for this happening. This is why I'm saying that I feel like Courtney did it on purpose as much as she's acting like it wasn't. And nothing really tells us that she did. But the way that she's acting and is like, get over it, whatever. And she was the one behind the jawbreaker idea. Yeah. Her main competition for being prom queen at the end would have been Liz. Makes me think they probably would have found that she was at fault from the get-go. And that's why she's so adamant not to. Because otherwise, when you say, oh, we were going to do this like birthday plan and she fucking died. I think you still go to jail. I think it's still like accidental death. Right. I think it's that she's so in control over everything that she couldn't let this one thing go as it being out of her hands. As they argue this, Fern hears everything from outside the door. When the three go to leave Liz's room, they open it to find Fern standing there. Courtney doesn't seem to miss a beat or panic. She simply asks Fern if she overheard their conversation and tells her there is no point in lying. Julie seems to try to protect Fern from Courtney, saying that she doesn't have to answer any of her questions. Fern just panics and looks over Courtney's shoulder to see Liz's staged body. Fern lets out a scream and runs. The three girls chase after her and Marcy eventually catches her. Nobody here tried to run that hard. No, because they're all still wearing heels. They're all wearing heels, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Courtney talks Fern out of saying anything to the cops by saying they can give her something that she was never meant to have which is beauty and popularity. Courtney says all of this in a very eloquent and elaborate way. She tends to do this a lot with what seems to be superficial things, but she's very clever. And this is where her character reminds me a lot of Jennifer Check in Jennifer's Body, where Jennifer's character would sort of act to kind of appease the person she was interacting with, but it was all very calculated. Because the way she insults her is like bizarre. She's like, you're the nerd in the corner of the dance room and not even all the nerdy dudes want to ask you to dance because they're too busy fucking perverts online who they think are women. Like it's a very (laughs) elaborate way to think. Julie objects, saying that she can't hide the truth with a makeover. (laughs) Fair point. They say that now that Liz is gone, they need someone to take her place. We then get the strangest makeover montage I think I've ever seen in a movie. It looks like a fever dream. It's all done in like spinning and weird camera angles. It's narrated by Courtney in a poem fashion, which I've never seen before. The things she's actually saying are odd. If you go back and watch it, I can't describe this scene in justice. The thing that is happening here, though, is Liz is being buried while Fern is having her hair dyed blonde. They're both kind of laid out by the stylist, one by the morgue owner. One mean girl has had to die to have this other one born. That's why in the speedrun I also mentioned that Violet is like a monster. Courtney is the mad scientist who's through like some fucked up act now made this monster and it comes back to bite her in the ass yeah she's even referred to as courtney's creation throughout the film but fern is having her hair dyed blonde by stylists that look like they're from the hunger games but also mixed with steampunk elements again go watch this scene (laughs) it's wild the next day at school it's fern's turn to strut her stuff in the school hallways next to courtney and marcy back at liz's home we see her parents have finally arrived to discover the crime scene they open her bedroom door and we are immediately thrown into an active crime scene investigation i think it's a pretty cool jump cut we open the door and we're straight in the cops already in her room back at school courtney and marcy are coaching fern on how to act as they walk into the cafeteria they notice that julie is sitting with who they describe as the body art rejects they look like the goth kids in any high school what would make julie choose to sit there other than by herself I get the vibe, especially with Julie's relationship with Fern, that she used to be friends with a lot more girls before she hooked up with Courtney and her gang. So maybe there's some friend in that group, too, that she's cool with? Possibly. Don't know. She looks rather uncomfortable, and she gets up when she sees Courtney. She's like, oh, I didn't have to sit there for too long. Courtney accredits herself with Julie's downfall, because apparently sitting with different people means you've had a downfall. But Julie approaches them. First, she compliments Fern on looking great, but then she speaks to Courtney alone, telling her that Liz's parents have come home today and they should still come clean. Courtney says that no one's going to find out that they were involved, that she made cocksure of that. I like paused, rewind, and made sure I heard what she said. What is cocksure? Well, that is literally what Julie asks. What do you mean by that? <laughs> Later, you realize what she did to stage a crime scene. So cocksure. She made cocksure. Yeah, more like S E M E N. Sure. Ah, ah. Yeah, I don't know why I spelled it, but. <laughs> <laughs> semen can we have one episode without semen (laughs) instead courtney threatens her saying that if julie speaks she will have marcy and fern tell the cops that the death was all julie's fault Courtney returns to the lunch table with Marcy and Fern. Fern takes out a lunch bag and the other girls immediately freak out. This would have been a a no for me. They're like, what the 
Bro, I have lunch here. Fuck off. I'm fucking hungry. We don't eat in front of people. This leads Courtney into one of those monologues that I mentioned earlier. It's the speech about how eating around people takes away power from them, but not eating gives them power for some reason. She then explains that eating around people associates all these negative things with you, again, in a very elaborate way. So this is a perfect example of what I've gone ahead and told my loved ones who are of this age, teenage age. If the mean girls are treating you like shit, if somebody comes up to you and is like, don't eat lunch because people think you're weak for it, bro, shut the fuck up. Nobody's looking at what you're eating. And if they are, they probably don't matter. Or even a step further, I think people are way more concerned about themselves than they are with you. Yeah. So get yourself through your teenage years being happy and young and enjoy it before you turn older and just work for the rest of your life like well that took a turn yeah inspiring inspiring she is very calculated and everything seems to be about preserving their image they are interrupted by a boy named dane who asks to be introduced to fern courtney interjects and introduces her as violet a new transfer student she then quickly dismisses dane but tells him to come back to her place later because she's in the mood for some kink she has this habit of referring to sex as like kink all the time i mean isn't it always i don't she's like we're about to do everything but missionary kind of that's the scene <laughs> we got later uh, i thought this was also funny because fern asks why she gave her the name violet and then she goes into this whole speech about how like fern is a plant right so i thought flower can't go with rose rose is boring and obvious and that's her real name so i thought that was funny the next scene we get is the introduction of detective vera cruz who enters miss sherwood's office saying that she has news about one of her students she is this very like badass hardened cop figure oh yeah i think she's an action movie hero yeah the actress's name is Pam Greer. Judy Greer went up to her and was like, look, my name's Greer too. I don't know how legit this is, but Pam Greer was like, mm, and looked at her up and down and was like, I don't think we're related. I mean, I don't think they are either. Well, no, but I think it's funny because in real life, this action hero person probably was just like, who the fuck are you? First of all, I'm legendary actress Pam Greer. And now everyone knows Judy Greer. And I, this is the first time I've seen this actress. Foxy Brown. Oh, she was in The L Word. Coffee, Foxy Brown, Jackie Brown. She's oh, been in quite a lot of movies. from LA. She was in Mars Attacks. Iron Fist. Okay, so I just haven't seen enough movies. This actress has been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, she's been in a lot of like well-known stuff too. Apparently she's described by Quentin Tarantino as cinema's first female action star. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, if she was foxy brown that was a pretty uh iconic role cool it seems to be the end of the school day and julie is about to get on the school bus when a dude named zach asks her if she wants a ride i found this scene really funny because a lot of other kids are getting on the bus and he singles her out like what's a girl like you doing on a school bus like you're <laughs> too good for one the fuck out of my way kids and, and literally like millions of other girls are getting on the bus like fuck you <laughs> the fu- you don't even go here <laughs> that was how you and me met you didn't give me a ride home no the bus well if someone would have picked me up we would have had a different story oh no i was sitting inside the bus like mm, i come in here and i'm gonna wait for her to, s- to say this what's a girl like you don't on a bus like this i think i would have been so thrown aback by that comment <laughs> and i'm in the driver's seat <laughs> sir he drops her off at home and the two don't seem to say much to each other but julie still writes her phone number down on his hand and exits his car not amazing chemistry going on between these two later in her room julie is looking at pictures from what seems to be grammar school she picks up the phone and calls fern it's clear that the two girls used to get along but as they grew older they grew apart they reminisce about old times and it seems like julie was the one that outgrew the friendship and fern is reminding her of this when courtney calls do you think that liz was probably part of this trio of friends it's possible or she used to be julie's best friend until liz came into the picture and instead of being upset she just kind of more idolized her she's probably better than me that's why she left me possibly that's such a messed up way to think about relationships in high school i think it happens a lot even in mean girls right regina george and janice used to be bffs until they got to high school and then they fucking hated each other it's a common trope it's a thing that happens do you have anybody like that i don't i was someone who left behind an abusive friend oh good good for you yeah yeah i'm proud of you thanks fern is reminded her of this when courtney calls she tells fern that she is always her priority and she doesn't care who's on the other line julie just hangs up after waiting for a while oh my god i know i saw that it sucks because being in high school I didn't have, obviously, relationships like this. And what I was trying to say earlier is that, like, you care about things in high school that are never going to matter again. Yeah. But there are things that happen to you that obviously, like, shift your personality and the way that you think about the world. And when things like this happen, as much as to us, now that we're older, it seems like, eh, what the fuck? Why'd she sit there for so long? Like, fuck that bitch. At this time in your life, you're still molding and learning about what do relationships really mean and what does caring a lot about a person 
really mean when they don't return that same feeling of care. When you get older, you're kind of like, oh, that person doesn't really give a fuck to hang out with me. Like, fuck them then. I'm not going to try. Because if they're not trying, then why should I try? At that time, you're saying like, I'm going to try my best. Like in Julie's case, trying to talk to Fern and be like, hey, be careful with what's going on with Courtney. Yeah. But Fern is letting herself be manipulated by Courtney and doesn't realize that in this moment of being given an opportunity to be something else that she you know, didn't figure out on her own is ignoring the nice side of her. While Julie is realizing, oh man, I was a bitch for so long. It's just crazy how these transformations happen at this age where you're like still realizing how the world works. Yeah, isn't it like the worst? They're your formative years, but you're also the most insane you'll ever fucking be. (laughs) It's this weird dynamic going on right now where Fern now has the opportunity to turn her back on Julie and she's taking it not being the bigger person which you're kind of like yeah i get it but then julie is now on the other side of this and realizing like oh i was shitty we cut to dane in courtney's room getting ready for some kink again i don't just say sex she's this like super cocky girl who's willing to hide a murder i mean don't even say sex just say straight up fuck and own it like everything else you own well i think her in her mind kink sounds edgier than just saying sex i thought it made her sound more like a lady it's an interesting scene to include in this movie because You know, this movie's pretty short and you're wondering what the scene is doing here. Courtney is basically making Dane simulate giving a blowjob so that she gives one. And I was like, is this a commentary on demasculating him? Again, her issue with power. She has to put her partner in the position of someone submissive. I guess why not, right? Like if we're talking about this film that's really pushing women's power. Why not also go the full mile and be like, yeah, she also does this shit to her guy. Yeah. I thought you were going to say go the whole mile and just fucking peg him. (laughs) I mean, mean, why not? That's what she means by kink, right? That was what was coming next had the cops not visited. Probably. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, why not fucking have her do this not just with her friends, but also with her boy toys? Yeah. It makes sense for her character for sure. And again, boys are like accessories in this film. They don't really matter. Because if she was like submissive to a boyfriend that would make me think he's abusing her and that's why she's like this with her friends <laughs> yeah and that's a completely different story then yeah when the cops knock on her door we cut to marcy at home with her dad and they're having this weird conversation about her growing up when the cops show up to question her we then cut to julie who is in her backyard staring at her swimming pool where she is imagining Liz swimming in it and emerging from it. She seems to be haunted by the memory of her when her mother comes out to give her the news of Liz's death. It's like a very dreamy scene. Music is playing. There's fog over the pool. I feel like there is some... And and we kind of mentioned it with Fern's character being in love with Liz, but I wonder if maybe there was also some underlying thing going on here with Julie and Liz. Or not. Or they're just showing a woman in friendship that can be deep and she's mourning her loss. Why not also, although maybe not directly, explore like the fact that maybe they had deeper relationships than just like what's on the outside and again this is where it would remind me of jennifer's body because needy and jennifer kind of had this also similar dynamic going on i would like to say i don't want to give movies credit for implying that people might be queer i would like to give movies credit when they make queer characters but this was the early 2000s and the 90s where it wasn't as acceptable to have those very clear out of the closet characters maybe not as woke as we'd like it to be it wasn't because then there is some serious homophobic comments later on in this movie i think it's he's trying to like point that out right because it's directed towards two characters who are female friends yes i remember that and i was like oh my god what the fuck yeah (laughs) i was like oh my word they're just friends and even if they're not fuck you yeah they could munch on whatever the fuck they want the character that says that i think is really funny is the actress who plays that 70s show eric foreman's sister oh lori (laughs) yeah the next day, Veracruz is interviewing all three girls. It's that scene where the detective asks a question and then we cut to who's being asked the question and it always alternates between the three of them. They start off with easy questions, asking if they're upset about their friend's death, and then it starts to escalate, like, quickly. Yeah, this lady is very intimidating. She's very intense. She goes on to ask them who Liz was fucking and if they've ever seen what a jawbreaker is. <laughs> she straight up goes from like, so what'd you have for lunch today? Who the fuck was she fucking? Yeah. When she pulls out that jawbreaker and asks them, do you know what that is? And I think it's funny that two other girls are like, no, I've never seen one in my fucking life. And then Courtney's like, yeah, I know what a fucking jawbreaker is. <laughs> yeah. We get another super weird montage of children on a playground just eating jawbreakers and then starting to cry and hold their stomachs because <laughs> so much sweet hurt them. Because they all swallowed whole ass jawbreakers. That would be tragic. Cue the sequel. 
Jawbreakers of the corn. Jawbreakers of the corn. That scene is then followed by another odd scene of Julie walking down the hall as Miss Sherwood announces Liz's death and funeral arrangements. But everyone else in the hall is frozen as she walks on. It's like an eerie silence with only Miss Sherwood's announcement playing. Again, this movie has so many interesting cuts and uses of cinematography. I do want to point out that although this scene is eerie, Carol Kane's acting is just her being her in anything that she's in. I want to watch When a Stranger Calls because I'm wondering if she like carries this. But the same. this is the same character as in Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt. She also has such a distinct voice that it just feels like she's joking all the time. It does. Which has to suck. <laughs> <laughs> it does. That's why you're like, it's eerie, but I'm like, but it doesn't feel that way because she's talking and she's like, oh, okay. And she says some joke and nobody laughs. Although it's awkward, you're like, oh, I love Carol Kane so much. She falls under the same category for me as the voice actor who does Louise, mm-hmm. where she just sounds like that. Every character she voices, she just sounds like that. Even what we do in the shadows, she plays like a vampire assistant to them and she just has a jokey voice. There are these unique voices that you can't forget. Vera Cruz is questioning Miss Sherwood, who informs her that she sent Fern Mayo to deliver Liz's homework the day the body was discovered, or the days she was called in absent. It is at this moment that she realizes that she hasn't seen Fern Mayo and she has been absent for a few days. This is my only gripe with this movie. You really are telling me that she looks so different, you don't recognize her? In this case, I'd say she does, because this isn't one of those tick off the glasses, oh my god, you're beautiful moments. They like completely make her over. They put her hair up and it's blonde and she's very vibrant. It's a significant enough transformation that if nobody was looking at Fern face to face throughout the whole film she's kind of written off as this unnoticeable character that's kind of just like lurked in the shadows and no one really ever gave a fuck about so I get this one but it's the ones with the glasses that's like bro what the fuck are you talking about yeah (laughs) but the whole like being absent thing wouldn't someone check in on her yes we cut to Violet being the new it girl at school making friends and people just gushing over her it's very reminiscent of that scene in mean girls where like everyone's just talking about what regina has done like she punched me in the face and it was awesome like <laughs> similar vibe going on here for violet oh my god you see violet she came in on a purple dress in a limo she opened she... for madonna <laughs> yeah. yeah right and then later i think when they reveal that she's not her they're like oh my god so you didn't open for madonna the deception courtney says it's about time that violet finds herself a boy she wants her to seduce zach who is part of the drama department. Here they have more homophobic comments about Zach possibly not being straight because he's in the drama department. The three run into Julie, who says hi to Fern, but she corrects her, saying that her name is Violet. Julie seems shaken up by this, but goes to meet with Zach in the school auditorium. She got no time for this. He says he understands if she wants to be alone, but she says no. She talks about her friendship with the girls, and Zach says that Maybe things happen for a reason. I really don't like Zach. Even though he's like the good one. He's not good. He is a walking (laughs) red flag. Yeah. He literally says, maybe it's a good thing that your best friend died because then you stopped hanging out with those mean girls and I would have never approached you if you were still friends with those mean girls, which is small dick energy. (laughs) (laughs) You are afraid of your love interest's friends? Big red flag. He then asks if she wants to see the roof of the school where he goes to be alone. She goes with him, saying she knows where to find him now. These people don't have chemistry. No. Why are you on the roof, bro? Because he's so misunderstood. He has to go to the school roof because he's so deep. Back in the school, Vera Cruz is interviewing Fern, asking her if she knew Liz. Fern goes into this strange monologue about Liz, saying that she was very kind to her once and that she will remember it for the rest of her life. It was very sad. She says other than that, she only had one class with her and she sat behind her in algebra. She said that she knows this is going to sound weird. (laughs) Oh, and it's weird. And it is weird. (laughs) She delivers on the weird. Yeah, this is the part where it goes from being like, maybe they had a love interest thing to like fucking crazy. Maybe she Fern was was like into her... She said her hair was always so shiny and smelled like apples, and she was fascinated by the set of birthmarks that she had on the back of her neck, and that she would stare at them all throughout class. She said she would imagine little drawings on them, such as salmon, spiderwebs, and even sea monkeys. This is where I find the style of the film really funny, because then they, like, CGI all the (laughs) things that she's talking about on the back of this character's neck, and even the little sea monkey says, hello! (laughs) I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) Miss Cruz just looks at her to her credit she's like pretty composed she's like okay she asks fern if it wouldn't hurt to lose a friend so important fern sighs and tells her this is high school 
what's a true friend anyways? Miss Cruz answers that a true friend is someone who tells the truth no matter what. This seems to shake Fern up because later that night, she has a nightmare that's narrated by those exact same words. And it's a nightmare of everything that's happened to her since allying with the flawless four. The film is odd because like we said, the animation is funny and it's like cutesy in a way, but it's why it's weird. Yeah. It makes the viewer feel weird because this whole time we know we're talking about a girl was murdered and her supposed friend has now framed her to have been murdered by someone who sexually assaulted her. This is all fucking dark, but we're laughing at these like really tiny jokes at the same time. And it's like, but we should all feel uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Fern was totally in love with this chick. And yeah, just what is happening? You're like, again, you're like laughing at this silly CGI. And you're also like, wait, this girl's supposed to be dead in this storyline. What the fuck? She talks about it like in this very sweet voice. And it's like she was mesmerized. And she ends it like even when she would get up and class was over, she was the first one out the room. And I'd stay behind still mesmerized, picturing the sea monkeys and the salmon just swimming around in front of me not realizing that she was gone a long time ago it's like what is happening to fern she has a very like dream sing songy voice too when she's like she would just leave me there with all these visions in my head i was like oh girl you got it bad (laughs) the next day courtney calls detective cruz to meet up with her in the police department courtney admits that liz had a secret life that she was really into having sex with strangers, specifically older men. A white man? No! That's all we get. It's a bar full of white men. Old white men. Old white men. We get a flash of a woman entering a bar and picking up an older man, who we've already mentioned is Marilyn Manson. Not the older white man that we get flashes of for some reason. I don't know. He doesn't look that young either, without his makeup. Picking up an older man, then taking him back to Liz's place. We see Liz's body under the bed as Courtney is having sex with a stranger. Again, my question was, wouldn't the body smell? at this point it's been in a trunk all day yes she finishes giving detective cruz her statement by saying that she can provide a list of bars that liz liked to frequent in the classroom julie is being bullied by fern and other classmates around the school we see that all the students are going crazy over violet this is kind of like the scene from earlier only more ramped up the drama department is talking about her when she shows up to introduce herself to zach She starts hitting on him and he's not really into her. Actually, he sounds like a pretentious asshole when he's talking to her the entire time. He's basically like, you're the type of girl that sports people like and I'm like in the art department and those things don't mix. What a douchey way to talk, dude. People can have multiple interests. Not everyone's a one-dimensional character like you. Right, like you're doing exactly what you're saying is shitty about that other demographic. But Violet doesn't miss a beat and keeps her cool while talking to him the entire time. She is having her moment when she even gets a red convertible from making out with a mechanic (laughs) and gets a better parking spot than Courtney. Oh, Lord. Not the parking spot. That part where they drive up, right? And Violet's like, hello, ladies. And she drives behind them. And Courtney's like, what the fuck is wrong with this picture? Yeah. We cut to Julie and Zach, who have snuck off to some junkyard to have a moment, when Zach tells her about the girl Violet, who he finds very odd. Julie informs him that Fern is Violet, and she is Courtney's little creation. He's very confused about this, and Julie confesses everything. Instead of being supportive and understanding, he freaks out and tells her she needs to fix this, and she needs to go to the cops immediately. He's, like, very condescending of her. Like, dude, this this is a lot going on. Right, like, she's already been dealing with it for a minute. You just found out relax keep your composure okay get it together maybe that was his drama coming out that's the drama in him it was leaking back at the high school courtney and marcy are discussing prom marcy mentions that she thinks violet is getting a little too powerful but courtney doesn't seem worried about this she compares it to when people come into money the first time and don't know how to act or spend it she says she's finally having her moment after her pathetic little life in the shadows. Again, Courtney's like thinking and acting way older than a teenager at this time would yeah. act. But I don't know. Maybe it's like a money thing when you have rich parents and you see this kind of thing. That's possible. You have visibility to stuff that we just said, like we didn't grow up in a high school like this. No. So maybe that's... I didn't have a convertible. No. I couldn't even drive. I didn't I even know can't. what people want. I still can't. I make this joke every episode, but I really can't drive people. She really can't. She's going to start driving next week. Wish her luck. I'm not actually. She's not actually. Good. <laughs> Good. Good. Good for the world. <laughs> it's better for everyone else. <laughs> there seems to be a commotion going on in the school courtyard as Violet has pulled up to the school and is blasting music 
She's being the center of attention and just sitting on top of her convertible jamming. She's loving it. She's reveling in the attention. Good for her. Good for her fern. She needs her moment. Yeah. Courtney grabs her and drags her to the girl's bathroom where she shoves her against the mirror twice very hard. Actually, when she walks away from it later, there is a crack in the mirror. Yeah, but good for Fern. Fern stands her ground. Yes. She asks her what the fuck she thinks she's doing and Violet confronts her saying that she's doing what she told her to do. She says that she has the upper hand because she knows the truth about Liz. Courtney says that she made Violet and she can just as easily break her. Apparently that's a line from Rocky, Rocky Horror. Horror Picture Show. Yeah. It is. Violet smirks and leaves asking if she's going to kill her too. Damn. Got her. Yeah. Apparently in the scene, Rose McGowan didn't know that Judy Greer was going to blow cigarette smoke in her face. So that reaction that she has is her real reaction. <laughs> she's like, you bitch. Yeah. And that's when she takes it flicks the cigarette and says the line from Rocky Horror, Damn. which we need to watch May 1st. That's what we're covering because okay. we already have April Good. set up. <laughs> Fucking love No, we movie. can't May 1st. May 1st has got to be the Mexican film, Cinco de Mayo, mm. even though that's not the one. Meanwhile, Zach and Julie are searching for evidence to use against Courtney. They remember the Polaroid they took when they first threw open the trunk on Liz. They try to search for it, but can't find it. They don't search very hard. Also, there's no way, dude. Like, it's I been weeks. Even have wasted my time. Yeah. <laughs> they cleaned the parking lot. They were going to find it that day. Probably. Apparently, they didn't clean it that well because we zoom out and see that the photo is trapped between the cracks of the sidewalk or something like that. The wind. Yeah. They drive away, and as the camera pans out, we see the photo of Liz left on the side of the road. They decide to go to the cops anyway, but before they can get a word out, Detective Cruz informs them that they already have a man in custody and excuses herself for a moment to go deal with something. This is when Julie realizes the extent of what Courtney has done, taking a man back to Liz's room to frame him for murder. Back at the high school, Courtney and Marcy have covered the school in posters of Fern with the caption, who is Violet? Fern pulls up to the school, sees the photos plastered everywhere, and just immediately passes out. <laughs> yeah. She just can't deal with it. She wakes up in the nurse's office, and the nurse informs her of what happened. When the nurse calls her Fern, she freaks out, says she's Violet, and runs out into the hallway. Again, too much happening here that I don't think it actually would happen. The school would be like, there's no Violet here. I don't know what the fuck game you're playing with your little teenage friends, but this is serious business. I literally had a fucking nurse. I have a job to do. Shut the fuck up. I don't give a shit if you're Madonna. Or if you open for her. She runs out of the nurse's office and begins to tear down the posters when she runs into Courtney and Marcy. Just the sight of them is enough to make her pass out again. <laughs> I love Judy Greer. I love her too. Julie and Zach pull up to the school and notice all the posters. When they get inside... They find Fern still passed out on the floor. No one checked on her. <laughs> they just covered her in more posters. <laughs> Not even the nurse whose room she's like outside. <laughs> well, she ran out on me. There's nothing I can do. I don't know who that is, actually. My jurisdiction ends at this door. <laughs> they help her up and ask her if she's okay, but she only corrects them when they refer to her as Fern. It's very sad. She very much did not like the person that she used to be. No. And prefers this new identity. It's a sad moment when Fern keeps referring to herself as a nobody. She seems to regret her involvement with everything saying she wasn't much before but at least she was better than the person she became courtney and marcy come up to taunt them all but julie isn't having it she confronts her about her scheme and tells her that it's all over and that she's going down courtney simply laughs and says that she'll see her tonight at the prom zach julie and fern are all driving home talking about how they can stop courtney but zach only suggests that they go to the prom fern says my favorite line in this entire movie yes where she's like that's a great idea we can just stop at the slaughterhouse and pick up a bucket of pig's blood while we're at it. <laughs> yeah, She's not so wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this movie basically ends similar to that other than the school's not burst into flames and everyone no. dies. Yeah. <laughs> same, same ending. Yeah. Frustrated, Julie just asked Zach to drop her off at home. They cut to the prom. An all-girl band is playing. And it was at this point when I realized just how little men are in this movie. Like... They only serve as accessories, as I mentioned before, but like the detective is usually a man. The principal is usually a man. The bands are usually all dude bands. It wasn't until this scene really? that it clicked in my house. Like, oh yeah, there's like no men. <laughs> yeah. Marcy makes comments about Julie not making it to prom. The girls she's speaking with are only there to show up to make super homophobic comments 
for the rest of this movie. Yeah. That's it. That's like all the purpose they serve. It's also just so stupid. Okay, so friends can't just go with friends that they don't have dates. And even before the girls get there, they're talking about how Zach and Julie probably couldn't decide who was supposed to wear the dress to prom. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's so funny. Wow, y'all are so edgy. So original. At home, Julie seems to be getting ready for a night in when her mom knocks on her door. Apparently, Liz's mom has dropped off a bunch of photos that she thought Julie would like to have. Among them is the card that has the recording of Liz's voice. But when she goes to open it, she hears Courtney's voice saying she killed Liz, she killed a teenage dream, get over it. She jumps out of bed, and the next scene is her arriving to prom with Zach and Fern. Which is all fine and dandy, but like, how did you get a limo so fast? When they enter, Zach has snuck off to the back, leaving only Julie and Fern together. This is where those girls start making those homophobic comments that we've already mentioned. Finally, it's time to announce the prom queen. And surprise, surprise! Carrie! Dane and Courtney are announced as winners. We see that at the same time, Zach is in the back messing with the DJ's equipment sound system. Courtney gives her acceptance speech. Zach cuts the mic and begins to play Courtney's confession from the birthday card on loop. The crowd slowly realizes what is happening. Oh my god, it's her voice. And they all turn on her. That's her. Oh my god, it's her voice. I don't know that I would have recognized it because she doesn't have like a very unique voice. Like if it was Judy Greer. <laughs> Obviously, you know it's Judy, and Judy Greer. And Judy Greer's audio played, I'd be like, oh my god, it's her. Immediately. Don't even. No, let's not pause. I, it's her. Definitely her. I know who it is. Yeah. Immediately. The mic is cut, so it's a very interesting scene here. It's all hush hush. You just hear the crowd's like kind of hushed whispers. Courtney makes eye contact with Julie, who simply blows her a kiss and tells her to eat shit. The crowd begins to throw flowers at her as a dreamy song begins to play. Marcy hides under a table and the crowd continues to attack Courtney, who is looking worse by the minute. At the end of the crowd, we see Julie, who is holding a Polaroid camera. She takes several unflattering pictures of Courtney. With a flash, we see the final shot. Courtney's ugly pictures are featured on the yearbook as we get the final words from Fern who says, it's high school detective. What's a real friend anyways? This last scene I feel is loaded. It's like once they realize who it is, I don't know if you notice one of the first comments that's made is like, you skank, you whore. Because apparently being called a skank and a whore is still worse than being called a murderer. <laughs> it's a dude voice. Too. It's a dude. Yeah. It's like the only guy in the background. Like everyone else is like, oh, you bitch, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, you skank. His voice is so emphasized <laughs> over everybody else. It is when her kind of facade is shattered that she starts to look worse and worse and worse when the people she sought to control turn against her that she actually shows the most emotion not even when she murdered her friend yeah she's being torn down and her worst nightmare is being photographed in that moment not even going to jail and going into the yearbook Can you imagine and, that yeah. yearbook it's like look murderer yeah like, if don't you, even think you put her in it if you pause it like i did when i was taking notes it says prom brought about a lot of unusual like memories or something <laughs> like that i'm paraphrasing but it was a it's, a it's a bitchy comment in the yearbook yeah i feel like it'd be tasteless to include her in an actual yearbook wouldn't it because it'd be a reminder that she murdered someone at the school yeah i mean there's a lot of tasteless scenes in this movie though that being said what do you think of the movie i, I told you in the beginning I, I like this movie it's fun when i said it, it's like a movie that belongs on on tv it's just the vibes and transitions that i think comes from it being like playful it's a comedy so it gives me like movies that come up on vh1 vibes mm. you know what i mean van wilder like those but those are also like big movies they weren't made for tv were they I, I don't know i really don't know if they were like in theaters maybe they were who knows i imagine they were but it's a good time but also don't forget someone was murdered so yeah. it's just this really weird feeling that you feel as a viewer and that's probably done on purpose because if it's been explicitly described as a black comedy that means that the director knew what he was doing and i think he did it well so yeah i give this pretty good praise what about you i love this i went in thinking that it was gonna be a ripoff of heathers and i was wrong maybe we'll cover heathers soon because that's another film that i do love so many things that just work for this film the weird transitions the weird cuts like you said, you feel uncomfortable the entire time, and that would make me classify this film as horror, because there's a lot of horror like that now. We've seen movies that are like, oh, look, someone's dead, and it's a comedy, and whatever. But I think it's because of the like very deep themes that are happening here too you're kind of like confused as a viewer of how yeah. serious you're supposed to take this because there are really like fucked up things happening while you're also laughing at some of the things that are happening so you're like oh what the fuck i don't i, I was laughing two seconds ago and now they're like talking about essay like what the fuck yeah I, I need to stop laughing right it's fucked up <laughs> 
It is very odd. I feel like it's criminally underrated. I feel like every actor here did an amazing job in the role they had. I'm only going to give it minus two for Marilyn Manson. So I give it an eight out of ten. They didn't know. Yeah. Did you give a rating? No, I give it a 7.5. Okay. Yeah, I liked it. It's a good time. I can't believe I didn't watch it sooner. Yeah, thanks so much, Travis, for recommending it to us. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I've never seen it. Never even heard of it. I had heard of it, but just, you know, it was one of those, it's on my watch list. I'll get to it eventually. So we appreciate it. This is a good watch. If you haven't seen it too, listeners, go check it out. It's on Tubi. For free. So mm-hmm. go watch it a million times. Yeah. Do you want to talk about what scared Loki? I don't think anything scared Loki about this movie. No, but you know who has been a mean girl lately? Elvira. Elvira. I don't know why she's attacking me. She's inviting my legs. She's just, I mean, she's not like actually fighting me, but you were saying earlier that you think the reason she attacks me is because she sees that's how I play with Loki and maybe she's trying to like get along. So she's becoming a mean girl with us. Do you want to tell us about it, Elvira? Hopefully we can get a meow out of you. We will. Because you fucking scream all day. Oh my God. I can literally just walk out with her bowl and she's like, <laughs> screaming. She's hilarious. We can't even ask each other questions without her being like, no, screaming at us. She's the most vocal cat I've ever met. Oh my God. Yeah. I thought cats were only vocal in certain circumstances, but she's just all day yelling. Yes. This was fun. Yeah. Such a good time with this movie. Just go watch it. Just go. I mean, I don't know. Tell us we're wrong. Tell us you hate it. If you hate it, Mm. (laughs) I will fight you. I will debate this with you. I want to know why you hate this. Because there's not enough men in it. There's enough men everywhere else. Okay. But is that pretty much it for us here today? Yes. Let's go. As always, we hope you guys had a good time here with us. You can follow us pretty much anywhere at Shaken Not Scared Pod, except Twitter. Twitter is Shaken Scared Pod. You can send us an email at shakenoutscaredpod at gmail.com. Support the show on Patreon. You can get early access to episodes or a bonus episode and theme drink idea every month. We actually just updated our Patreon price. We've lowered it from $10 to 5 If you are current patron please make sure that by the end of the month you update your tier because it will charge you again there's no way for us to change it i'm so sorry i looked into it patreon doesn't let it happen on our side so just make sure that by may 1st you go ahead and make that change we did go ahead and refund you for april so thank you expect a gift for being a supporter at ten dollars these last few months we really appreciate it keep an eye out for it in the mail but for new subscribers yeah five dollars go over there join it thank you so much to anthony you just subscribed here's your shout out thanks so much we love talking to you over on the discord we're looking forward to more and more time hanging out with you guys on future episodes listen wherever you get your broadcast give us a follow check out our drink videos be sure to like rate review all that good stuff and okay thanks bye bye